Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Oh, come on. That's why I love the 1230. That's why I love the 1230. We haven't gotten that in any other service. That already makes me want to preach. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm not even going to make you stand up. I've made every other service stand up. I've made them practice clapping. I'm not going to do any of that. We're just going to dive in because I love that response. So um, Nicole and I fight sometimes. And I don't don't know why that immediately um, garners laughter um, from you guys. Like, that's so expected. Um, but we, and Nicole is, is my wife, not some random lady, but like we, we fight sometimes and here, like, okay, can we just say this? Like if you're in any kind of relationship, so it's, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. And and I think that, um, this kind of develops over time, but the art of learning how to fight is a necessity, right? Like you, it's just, it's going to come. And generally there's like a couple issues that tend to be like recurring issues that you fight about. Um, that constantly pop up. And they're not always that big a deal, but they become big deals. And so just straight up, there's a couple of those in our our marriage. And the first one, one of the ones that we come back to over and over and over again, is that Nicole is not a good driver. (laughs) She's not. And like, she's, I've been telling that story all day. Like, so when we got married, um, this is not over-exaggeration, within two weeks of getting married, no, no, not getting married, Two weeks of meeting, that's when it was. We met, and within two weeks, she got in two different accidents. And one was with the school bus. So, like, hide your women and children when Nicole gets behind the wheel of a car. She, so, immediately, like, I started to get to know her, and I'm thinking, I don't, like, if this ever went that far down the road, I don't know if I could marry this girl. For the insurance premiums alone, like, I need to consider another option. I didn't really have any other option, but it was, it was bad. So, she would argue with you or with me um, that she's gotten a lot better. And, and that might be true, but I'm telling you, and I'm not over-exaggerating. We were driving home from, or driving to the airport in New Hampshire, was like three hours away, and so she's driving. And there is no time where my prayer life is more at its peak than when I am in the, in the driver, other than watching a Bucks game. Like that's, those are the moments where I'm praying the most in my foot is crashing into the floorboard and it is a nerve wracking experience. So she would argue that she has gotten so much better, but I'm still, I'm as nervous as ever. So then on the other side, just to be fair, one of the recurring issues that we keep having um, for me is that when we go somewhere in public, if we're around people, if we're at a party over and over again, there's this ongoing thing of her believing that I disconnect um, from the kids and I leave the kids all with her and I leave her to do her thing and I just kind of go off talking or whatever. And so now it's to the point of anytime we're gonna go somewhere, meet people at a party, like I, I kind of feel like a toddler. I get a little talking to of like, are you gonna engage this time? Are you gonna are you gonna leave me with the kids? Are you gonna engage and help me with the kids the whole time? And did, and I kind of feel like part of that is her fault because she'll do this little she'll do this little thing with the kids where she's like, who do you who do you love better, daddy or mommy? You know, and of course this the mom, so they, they always choose you know the mommy. So I always remind her in those moments of like, hey, they love their mommy more. So here you go, you can take care of the kids. They just want to be with their mommy, um, do her thing. So. We all have like um, these confirmation biases where we see what we are looking for and they can be really deadly in a relationship. Like you create filters and you view another person through those filters. It might be the past. It might be, uh, you know, something they did from the past. It may be a perception you have of them, but it's just, it's just the reality. And so my point is this, that we do the same thing with religion. 
We do the same thing with Jesus specifically, which is what this series is about. And we kind of create what I would refer to as the Instagram Jesus. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, how many of you use Instagram? All right, you can lift your hands up. I'm not asking you to confess sins. Like, just did you, you, did you, did you use Instagram? So early on in Instagram, uh, I, my Instagram hustle is not that great. So, but I think this was really a thing early on where everybody would use these filters. I, I assume you still do. I just put pictures up um, when I have them. But you're constantly um, creating a filter or choosing a filter that produces the image that you want. You know what I'm talking about? And so you do this a couple ways. One of the ways is you're constantly doing things where you're just, you're trying to get a picture that looks super casual. I'm just, oh, just quick picture. That actually took you 17 different shots to get that picture. Or it's, I did it in my, whatever, my thigh still looks fat, like filter. But you, you create or you choose filters that creates the image that you want. And in a lot of ways, we, we've kind of done that with Jesus. We created an Instagram version of Jesus, and not on purpose, but we're constantly choosing our filters to produce the image that we want or the image that we're comfortable with. And here's how I know that's true. Because you have a thousand different movements, or you have these activist groups, you have political parties, and all of them have these different opposing views, but they're all using the same verses. They're all using statements that Jesus said, and yet it's all over the map. There is all kinds of crap that's done in the name of Jesus. Using all kinds, you know, using the same verses, quoting Jesus from the same passages. In fact, um, for some of us, like maybe you've walked away from Jesus, maybe you are not sure if you believe. And if we were to sit down with you and just like have a really open, honest discussion, um, some of the stuff that you're holding onto isn't even Jesus. Like we'd sit down and like, hey, that, you actually just quoted Ben Franklin. That wasn't Jesus. Like you, you have walked away from maybe a Jesus that doesn't fully exist. Or we talk a lot about, and, and really wherever you're from, even if you're skeptical, you'd go, well, this is what it's supposed to be about. So we'll talk about, well, I think like the epicenter, the essence is love. And yet in a lot of cases, we, we treat gays like a disease. And there's so many things where it's all over the place. And there's a million different denominations and all of them, or at least a lot of them claim to have Jesus at the center. So you're like, what, like, what is what is this about? What is real? And what is Instagram Jesus? Where have we created filters to produce the image that we want? And so it's kind of all over the map. So some people have hipster Jesus that's kind of, he's just, he's cool to hang out with. Some of us have kind of angry Jesus, which is maybe why you walked away. Maybe what you experienced from the church is just kind of an angry version of Jesus. We have activist Jesus which is however you view culture or whatever needs change from culture, whatever needs to kind of be undone, you just, Jesus lines up with you 100%. Like that's, that's what Jesus cares about. And here's my verses. And, then for, and this, is, this is truth. And then we kind of have a cuddly version of Jesus. He's just cuddly. He's usually feathered hair. And he's, he's petting a lamb. He's super, super soft-spoken. He's usually olive skinned, you know, really white Jesus from the Middle East. Um, but like, it's just, he's just like a cuddly version of Jesus. And as you begin to look at the historical narratives of Jesus, and so much of this series just comes out of what is so personal for me, because um, for so many years, like I've known so much about Jesus. I've known so much about the scriptures, about the New Testament. I'm kind of like a professional studier of Jesus, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad is a pastor. I, I went to undergrad and studied this and went to seminary and had tons and tons of information. And yet, and I'm not overstating this, there were some, some moments where I realized that I'm not sure as I look at the historical narrative of Jesus and try to work, not perfectly, but to take off some of the filters that, that the Jesus that a lot of times has been so easy to categorize for me. Like moments in my life where I ashamed to admit it was so easy to kind of have this view of, well, this is what Jesus is about and this is how Jesus views this and this is the category he fits into and get judgmental about some groups in some areas. And, and it was just so clean and so neat for me. And, and like, cause I knew I had a lot of information and realizing that in so many areas, my, my idea 
And my view of Jesus was completely wrong. Like, here's what I have discovered, and I'm still on that journey, but Jesus was a completely disruptive force. Jesus was a completely disruptive force. Like, think about this. Think about all the things that Jesus said that are not going to end up on a coffee mug. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. XOXO, Jesus. Like, like Lifeway is not going to sell that. One of my favorite stories is Jesus is, he's preaching, which he did often during his ministry. He's, he's preaching. He gets to the end of it. He walks off. The band's coming on. Somebody's going to do announcements, but he finishes preaching. And literally, have you ever heard this story? Jesus gets done preaching, and there's a whole group of people, it says, who immediately tried to take him and throw him off a cliff. Jesus was disruptive. And by the way, we'll see this in the series. Generally, that was always religious people. Like every once in a while, I tend to a little bit, not intentionally, sometimes intentionally, but offend religious people or church people, which I can talk about that because I am one of them. And I always feel like Jesus is like, I got you. They try to throw me off a cliff. Like you're right where you need to be. Like Jesus was a completely disruptive force in every, I mean, he disrupted views. He disrupted systems. He disrupted entire kind of constructs that people so held on to. I mean, he, I mean, many of you know this. He hung out with people that nobody expected that he was going to hang out with as you look at the New Testament. They could not understand it. And he didn't hang around the people that they thought he would hang around. All the Bible-believing Republicans just didn't spend any time with them. And it was so confusing. And he never, like read the stories, he never got angry at the right things, but he angered a lot of people. He's very disruptive. And they, they never really knew what he was going to do. They never really figured him out. There was so much that was disruptive and it was hard to categorize and it wasn't safe and it didn't fit in with anything that they expected about Jesus. And so my question is just this, 2,000 years later, how did our version of Jesus get so unbelievably sanitized and so safe and so easy to categorize? You, some of you could spit some verses out at me right now to, to just, this is what Jesus cares about and is in line with right now. How did he become that? How is he so easy to figure out, so easy to understand when you look at the Jesus of the New Testament historical narratives, that, that wasn't the case. He was incredibly disruptive, sometimes almost schizophrenic. I mean, people could not figure him out. And here's the conclusion that I've come to, and this is maybe the basis for this series, is that the unfiltered version of Jesus is a disruptive force that has the power to disrupt your life in the best possible ways. And it's not going to be what you expect. And it's not going to be what you've been so familiar with. And it's going to blow up a lot of categories. But I'm telling you, this is the essence and nature of Jesus. And not just initially, not like I have an experience and I start to follow Jesus. And, and you know, there's kind of that moment. But I'm telling you, at every, every stage in the journey, Jesus is a disruptive force. I mean, Jesus, Jesus is disruptive even with his grace. Jesus' grace is so out there and so hard to control and create so much fear that in many cases in the church, we've wanted to kind of dumb it down. We've wanted to kind of control it, which ultimately leads to controlling people because we don't know what they're going to do. And we don't know if they're going to abuse it. We don't know where they're going to take it. And even Jesus' grace, even Jesus' offer of love and redemption, some of you are, are walking away from it because it is so out there. It's so beyond what we'd expect. And can we just say this? You don't, cuddly Jesus is really lame. Like there are moments in your life where you hit the floor on your knees and things are flying out of control and there is a diagnosis that you're not gonna be able to change and there's a phone call that begins to just throw you into a frantic or there's an adult kid that walks away or there's a dysfunction that you can't get out of or there's something happening with a family member you can't understand and in that moment, you do not want easy to understand cuddly Jesus. You want the Lion of Judah. You want the King of Kings. You want the Lord of Lords. You want 
somebody that you cannot figure out. You're not sure what they're gonna do. You don't know where it's gonna go, but you know they are above you and beyond you. And the only thing you can do in that moment is not try to figure out, but bow your knee to that Jesus. In that moment, you don't want cuddly little Jesus. You want the Jesus to actually exist, who is a disruptive force and has the power to disrupt your life in the best possible way. And, and so I just want to say this kind of prophetically. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, and, and maybe a, like a long time like me, if Jesus isn't disrupting something in your life right now, you may have a bunch of filters on. If you were ever to move in Jesus' direction, the promise is he's going to disrupt some stuff and it's not going to be what you expect. So I love this scene where um, it's all getting started and John the Baptist is at the, the riverside of the Jordan and he is baptizing people and they're confessing their sin. I don't have time to go into that, but that was so disruptive because up until that point, nobody had baptized another human being. Baptism was like a ceremonial washing that you confirmed with Judaism. And so that was like, what are you doing, John? You can't baptize people. And, and then people are coming and confessing their sins to John and that wasn't allowed either. That has to be in the temple and you got to bring a goat and like that. You can't be coming to the riverside of the Jordan and confessing sins. And John, you can't be baptizing people. And John's like, Psh, you don't even know what's coming. If this is tripping you up, you have no idea what's about to be revealed. And so there John is, and he's already disrupting stuff for Jesus, baptizing people. People are confessing sins outside of the temple. What are you doing? And, he, and John says this prophetic statement that is so relevant, not just to them, but to us. There's hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people at the Jordan Riverside. And, and John says this, among you stands one, talking about Jesus, that you don't know. And it's not that you don't know because you haven't met him yet. You're not going to know him when you do meet him. And you have more information. He's talking to a bunch of religious people that had more information uh, than anybody. Like they were waiting and ready for the Messiah. They had memorized the Old Testament prophecies. Like they were the guys that had more information than anybody. So it's not an informational issue. But he's like, you guys, because you are so familiar, you're so tripped up on what you'd expect or how you think this is going to go down. There's one that stands among you and you've waited for him your whole life and you're going to miss him. Like, isn't it good, like, in different areas of our life? And you got to help me preach this. So 1230 cannot be quiet the whole time. So I'll just get you to do stuff so I can hear you. But there's areas where it's good to know what you don't know. Like, I know nothing about cars. And so I, I'll go get my car fixed. And because I'm a man and I want to regain some semblance of I'm a man, I'll head nod when they're talking about the whatever and it goes around the thing and the valve that goes and spits out. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then inevitably halfway through, they ask me a specific question. I'm like, I, I shouldn't have lied. I have no idea, dude, what you're talking about. No idea, but I, I just wanted some kind of respect. Um, even, even what I do on this stage, like as many times of, as I've done this, there's this constant like and maybe this is with everybody who does this thread of insecurity where like, I, I don't, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. There's, I don't know how this is gonna land. Sometimes it doesn't land at the 9 a.m. So it's changed for the 1045. But there's this constant like, I don't know. Constantly insecurity about, I, this, I think this sucks, but we'll see, it's Sunday. It's good to know what you don't know. And this is particularly true in relationships. Like a lot of us are in relationships where we are treating somebody based on um, what we think we know. And it's not, it's not information. It's not even proximity. You might live with them. They might be your kids. They might be your spouse. And you're maybe treating them on the basis of what they've done in the past or what they came out of or something you're still holding over them. And here they are, and they are a completely different person. They are not that person any longer, but you are so sure that you kind of know who they are, that you're interacting with the person that you live in proximity with. Like you're in the same room, but you don't really know them. Like for some, in fact, maybe in your kind of purview, they're waiting for you to acknowledge who they are. You, you've got maybe a child 
that there's some things in the past, yeah, there's some stuff that went off the rails, but, but there's something that's happened in their life and you're kind of keeping them stuck because your words have so much power. And if you could just acknowledge what is now true about them is you aren't what you used to do. You aren't where you've been. You aren't that person. And I just want to acknowledge and speak over you who you are in this moment, who, what is true about you, what is your identity, and some of you, it, it's with yourself. You don't know you. So you're a follower of Jesus. You've you be, you begun to follow Jesus, place your faith and trust in Jesus, and you are so hung up on the past. You are so scared to death to take a step of faith that Jesus is asking you to take a step toward. You are so hung up on some guilt from the past. You are so kind of narcissistically punishing yourself and you keep thinking thoughts about you that is not true. Yeah, this all was true. This all happened, but you're in Christ. You're a child of God. You've been freed from that. Even if you aren't acting according to what is real, it is real. You have a hope. You have a future. You are not condemned under the weight of that guilt any longer. And you need to step up and wake up and know who you are. So what you know or what you think you know might be the most dangerous thing in relationships. And so there they are and John's like, he's here, but you're not going to know him. And so John is baptizing hundreds of people and that's not allowed, breaking the rules. People are confessing their sin to John. That's not, uh, that's, you can't do that. And then there's this dramatic moment. And maybe, you know, John is the Baptist, is at the riverside. And he looks off somewhere and he sees Jesus kind of making his way through the crowd. And he just points. And you can't, you can't overestimate, like overemphasize that moment. He points to John and he's, John points to Jesus and says, look. By the way, not believe, not lose your mind. Right now, I'm just asking you to look. Look, Jesus is coming down the riverbank. The Lamb of God that takes away is going to take away the sin of the entire world. And even that was disruptive. Like we, we lose it now, but the, everybody is confused in that moment because they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Number one, lambs don't get outside of the temple. Lambs are for the temple. That's where we offer sacrifice, which is a temporary covering for sin. And what are you talking about? I don't see a lamb. You can't be talking about Jesus being the lamb. That does not make sense. And right there, all the... All the all of a sudden, this disruptive moment is entering where John is foreshadowing, no, 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 I'm not talking about a system. I'm not talking about a set of rules. I'm not even talking about a theological construct. I'm pointing to a person. Everything's going to change. He is. He will be. It's wrapped up in a person, not in a set of beliefs. He is the Lamb of God, and he is going to once and for all end the sacrificial system. You won't need any more lambs, and he is going to take care of the sin of the entire world. World. And they're like, well, we grew up and we tried to separate ourselves from the world. That was the whole system. He's like, not anymore. You don't understand it now. But Jesus is offering a new approach to God, a new way to view people, a new way to move forward, a new way to be okay with yourself, a new view of all of humanity. He is going to be the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of not just Jewish people, the world. So disruptive. And so Jesus gets down into the the river, and you can read this for yourself, there's a little exchange and they, they fight for a minute and argue and finally John relents is like, okay, I need, to, I need to baptize you. Not even worthy to untie your sandals, but I'll baptize you. And he baptized Jesus because Jesus wanted to be identified with what John was talking about of what he said, it's legit, the Messiah is here. And Jesus baptized, uh, John baptizes Jesus and Jesus comes out of the water. And then there's this freaky moment for, at least for those there. And we kind of, you know, we kind of brush over the scriptures. It was freaking people out where a dove came and a, a voice came out of nowhere and they don't know who the voice is. And it's actually the Holy Spirit. Guarantee you, everybody was, was shocked and scared. But a voice came from heaven as Jesus is coming up out of the water and says, you are, the implications of this are so huge. We'll have to come back to this, but you are Jesus. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So we were traveling back um, recently 
from New Hampshire. We went up there for my sister-in-law's wedding. And so uh, we're coming back and I had aisle seat, which I was thankful for. There's aisle. And then Ryder, my four-year-old, he's sitting across um, the aisle right there on the end. And he, at some point, reaches into my wife Nicole's bag. Like, I think every mom, as soon as you have a couple kids or toddlers, they have a Mary Poppins-esque bag um, that just has all kind of crap in it. You know what I'm talking about? There's a TV in there. Um, there's enough wipes to fill Costco. There's um, just anything you could need is in that bag. It's massive. And so he finds his way into that bag. And, and there's a lot. There's a lot. There's some benefits to having toddlers and one is you have wipes wherever you go. You want to wash your car, you got enough wipes to wash your car. So, which I'm thankful for that. So Ryder finds his way into the Mary Poppins bag and gets out these wipes. And then immediately he just goes to town. He gets the wipes out and he starts wiping down the seat in front of him and the tray table and getting in every crevice. And then he, he starts on the hand rest and he spends um, 10 minutes, I don't think I'm over-exaggerating, getting the arm rest and then he's backing up and getting the seat. And he spends 25 minutes washing down the seat and he goes through hundreds of wipes, it seemed like. And uh, come on, is there any more disgusting place or thing than a seat in an airplane, disgusting. And then even that, you know, turn on some air, that's just recycled air. The guy in 7C is just breathing in your face the entire time that you're on the plane. It's it's so nasty. It is, it is nasty. And you know, I don't wanna put my bag on the floor because I don't know what it's gonna pick up. It is so disgusting. So Ryder for 20, 30 minutes, and my wife's in here, I don't think I'm, I'm lying. It was a while. He's wiping this whole thing down frantically. And so just at one point, because she's right next to him, she looks at me across the aisle and she's like, he is you. He is you. He is you. And he is. He is like the little embodiment of me. All my OCD tendencies were crammed into that little body. We're going to do group counseling when we get older and save some money, but it, all of it is inside, even like how he interacts with people. Like you'll meet him and sometimes he's just like, eh. that's me. I've learned not to go, eh, but that, like that's, that's, he's me. He's a little introverted. He replenishes away from people. He's, he, all these OCD, t- I mean, it's just, if, so if you want to know what, like if you wanted to get to know me as, you know, it's imperfect, but seriously, just go get to know my boy. My four-year-old boy, Ryder, not the other one. He's like Nicole. But my four-year-old boy, Ryder, he's a little me. And so in this moment, Jesus is coming up out of the water, and there's this voice of, this is my son, whom I love, who I am well-pleased with. And can you imagine the implications of that moment? Can you imagine that this is what the world had waited for, and they didn't even know that they had waited for it? And in this moment, your heavenly father is saying to all of humanity, everything that I want to say and everything that I want to show off and everything that I want to do and every question that you are ever going to have, it's going to be crammed into my son, Jesus. If you want to know how to treat them, if you want to know how to view culture, if you want to know the way forward, if you want to know what God thinks about dot, 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 if you want to know how God interacts with humanity, everything that God wants to say to humanity, everything he wants to show off, Everything he wants to put on to display, it is all represented in Jesus. And so as he's getting out of the water, it is our heavenly father going, if you want to know God, look at my boy. If you want to know God, watch my boy. If you have questions about God, hang out with my boy. Everything is revealed in Jesus. This is why I can't explain this. I'm not going to try other than to say this is a a basic core doctrine, if you want to use that word, or or belief. And that is that you find in Scripture that we we believe that we serve a God who is is three distinct persons in one. I can't explain that for you. But three distinct persons, but it's one God. And there's God the Father, and then there's God the Son, which is Jesus, and then there's the Holy Spirit. And they are perfect in unity, in relationship. And so your heavenly father is in heaven going, how how do I reveal to humanity what I wanna do and what I'm about? Because they're never gonna get it from a system. 
They're never going to get it from a list of rules or a, just a theological idea. It's, it's not going to gain the weight. So I'm going to send my son and I'm going to pack all of my characteristics and my flavor and how I view things through him so that all of humanity for all time, if you want to know God, you look at Jesus. That's why Jesus is such a big deal to us. That's why the epicenter of any true church should be just Jesus. We just, we're about Jesus because everything is about Jesus. Jesus reveals he is God and he reveals who God is. And so John writes later on that, that Jesus said, anyone who has seen me, Jesus in this moment, moment is either a lunatic or he is who he says he is. Anyone who has seen me has seen God the Father. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. So that moment, Jesus comes up out of the water and it identifies the start of his earthly ministry. And he's like, it's, it's go time. And so he goes from that place. And the next day, after packed some bags, went off from the Jordan. He decided to leave for Galilee because it's all about to happen, this three years of ministry. And he finds Philip and he said to him, what's, what's these two words? Said to him, one more time, that was weak. Said, follow me. Now, just real quick, let me land here for one second. This has been so misinterpreted because most of the time when we hear follow me or we read follow me in the New Testament scriptures, we think, well, it's an invitation to believe. It's an invitation to salvation. It's an invitation because you need to stop doing some stuff to stop doing some stuff. Nowhere in the New Testament is the invitation to follow me an invitation to believe. Nowhere. Consequently, we have a bunch of people who are kind of keeping Jesus at arm's length. We're kind of threatened because we look at that and go, well, I don't know if I believe. I don't know if I could ever become a Christian. I don't know if, if I could ever give up that, whatever that is. And so we've identified with this invitation to follow me, to believe or to become a Christian. That was never the case. Many of Jesus' followers who started following him did not believe till way later on. Some of them, not till after the resurrection. They're like, ah, feeding 5,000, I don't know, anybody could do that. Walking on water, I still don't know if that's a trick. You walked out of a grave alive. You are not dead anymore, I believe. They'd followed him for several years before they came to that place. And here's why this is such a huge idea is because for some of you, you've never really considered, maybe you're watching or listening somewhere or in the house, you've never really considered following Jesus because there's things you don't know if you could give up. There's areas that you don't know if you could ever embrace or believe. You don't know if you could ever become a Christian. That's not the invitation. The invitation is, I just want, I'm inviting you to come hang out with Jesus. I'm inviting you to hang out with other people who've gotten to know Jesus. I'm inviting you to look. I'm inviting you to follow. I'm inviting you to investigate. And you don't need to be threatened. When did we get so fearful? Like, Jesus' invitation to follow him, he can handle all of the results. He can handle whatever the behavior is. He can handle whatever the doubts are. He's not threatened by any of them. How many of you know this? Jesus is really great with coming with all of his grace and all of his truth to change a human heart. And he can change a heart long before he changes a life, long before he changes behavior. Jesus can override any skepticism and any doubt. You don't need to be afraid to unequivocally go, we're not asking you to believe. You just need to come and follow and check out Jesus. Because guess what? If you get to know who Jesus is, he might change you forever. I feel like that point was better than you clapped, but that's all right. Listen, the, the danger in that is, is in many cases, the church's activity in drawing people is competing with the activity of God in the world. We're offering a lot of get your junk together and then come invitations. And that wasn't the invitation of Jesus. And so consequently, we're keeping people at arm's length who Jesus is going, would you bring them close? And would you stop being so afraid? And would you stop creating churches that have as their primary focus behavioral modification and leave that to me and just introduce people to Jesus? Amen. Would you invite people, please, to start asking questions? Like I, a friend of mine was hanging out at his office a few months ago and he's starting a brand new business. And um, so we were there just talking and we we're talking about Jesus and faith and life. And he's begun to really like understand Jesus' love for him and 
Um, he's begun to have something in him that just compels him to want to love Jesus. But he's investigating. Like, he has lots of questions. And there's areas where he's really skeptical. And I love hanging out with people like that. I do that all day, every day, if I could. Because I just, I, I just feel that. I'm wired that way a little bit. And so we had the best conversation. And I'm telling you, Jesus is working in his life. And uh, <clears throat> then he told me a story of not like years ago, but like a few months ago, maybe it was a year max, he was talking about his experience with the church. And he got involved, he joined this class, whatever it was, because he wanted to, to learn and grow. And so um, after a period of time of being in that class, like he would just ask questions all the time. Like, I don't know about that. I, could you explain that? I kind of have some doubts about that. And so after being, I don't know if it was a couple months being in that class, finally one day um, he was escorted out of the class. And somebody had a little side conversation to go, hey, dude, you can't come back here anymore. And literally, I think this is word for word, the, the, his wording from this guy is like, I've been here 20 years, is you are not welcomed here. Wow. You, you can't ask these questions. What? Yeah. What? You, you are literally working against the activity of God in your generation. I've said this before. I want to say it to you one more time. Abandon whatever you can't examine. This is how every cult starts. Hey, just trust me. It's going to be good. Just, just, just drink this. I promise everything is going to be fine. Abandon whatever you can't examine. And this is the invitation of Jesus. Just follow me. And so he invites them to follow him. And Jesus' ministry gets rolling. And the next verse says that Philip, like Andrew and Peter, because Andrew and Peter had just started following, Philip was from the town of Bethsaida. And then it says this, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, because just by the way, when you begin to encounter Jesus, you're going to tell somebody. And you don't need a class or a script. That's lame. You're just going to do it. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son, because they're not even thinking David. It's just, he's from Nazareth and his dad's Joseph, the son of Joseph. Like we basically, what we expected is here. Who we expected is here. And nothing could have been further from the truth. Like even in what they referenced in their understanding of Jesus, they have no idea what Jesus is about to do. Within a short amount of time, he's going to stand among these Jewish people and go, hey, I know you revere Moses. I know Moses is a hero. One greater than Moses is here. Hey, I know the law. People gave their life for the law. I know that what the prophets wrote is so valuable. It's what God did for a generation and for generations. But I'm telling you, something different, something new is here, a different approach to God, a different approach to faith. It's not wrapped up in a system or a temple or a set of rules. It's wrapped up in a person. And so they have no idea what Jesus is going to disrupt. They had no idea what they were expecting. They had no idea what Jesus was going to do. A one greater than Moses is here. One greater than the law is here. What the prophets introduced was valuable for a time, but I'm going to come and put the death nail in it, and I'm going to invite the world into relationship with Jesus, and I am going to shift all of your paradigms of what you think about God and about people and about who's in and who's out. I am going to disrupt everything. And they had no idea. The only thing they were hung up on was what Nathaniel blurts out next. Nazareth, practice. We talking about practice? We talking about practice? The three people who got my AI reference, I love you. Thank you. Can anything good come from there? And Jesus is like, this is my hometown. These are my people. But Nathaniel is so hung up on what he thinks God's going to do, where he thinks God's going to come from, how he thinks it's going to look. So he's like, okay, if the Messiah shows up, he's coming out of Bethany. He's coming out of Jerusalem. He's coming out of some other prominent city. He is not coming up out of Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And this was such a massive foreshadowing of what Jesus is gonna do because this would become Jesus' modus operandi is I'm going to take sucky circumstances and I'm gonna bring about purpose. And I'm gonna take marginalized people and I'm gonna use them to have the greatest impact. Heck, I'm gonna take Roman crucifixion and I'm gonna bring about salvation. This is the way that I'm gonna work and it's never gonna be what you expect. 
It's never gonna be how you think God should operate. You're gonna constantly be confused about what the activity of God looks like in your life or in your generation. You just need to know you are serving a savior that's coming up out of Nazareth. It's not gonna be what you expect. It is not gonna be what you anticipated. It's constantly gonna disrupt intuitively what you think you know to the point of you can actually miss what Jesus is doing in your life because the greatest enemy to your faith is not the devil. The greatest enemy to your faith is your familiarity. What you expect, what you anticipate, what you thought was gonna happen. Like maybe you're there right now and your question is, can anything good come up out of Nazareth? Can anything good come from singleness? Can anything good come from this breakup? Can anything good, I don't think anything good, could come out of this diagnosis? Can anything good come out of this hurt and loss? Could anything good come out of this betrayal? You're in a place right now where you're, you're viewing some things where you know, I don't know how this works, but you know God's called you to something. I'm speaking to somebody in this room or podcasting. You know God's calling you to take a step of faith and you are so hung up on where you've been, well, I don't have enough, not enough education, not enough knowledge, not enough courage, not enough personality. And you are so hung up on Nazareth that you're sitting around thinking, there is no way, even though I feel like God has called me to it, that it could come from this or it could come from me. You're sitting around asking the question, can, can God use any of this dysfunction and past and do anything with it? Can God bring anything up out of this Nazareth, my sin, my addiction, that spring break, that business trip, what I did to him or her, the fact that I have shook my fist at God so many times and I have so much doubt, there is no way that anything could come up out of that. And I just wanna tell you today because this is such a powerful foreshadowing of who Jesus is and what Jesus is gonna do. Because you serve a Jesus that came up out of Nazareth, Jesus can bring anything out of Nazareth in your life. He can take a breakup and it can become a breakthrough to reveal his purpose for your life. There may be a diagnosis where in that darkest moment, because Nazareth is a dark place for you, God's going to give you hope for the sake of that person who would not receive hope otherwise if it wasn't for your circumstance. It may be Nazareth of hurt and loss and betrayal, and you don't know how God could work anything from that. And I, you just need to know, because Jesus came up out of Nazareth, he can take anything out of your Nazareth experience and use it for his purpose and for his glory and to do something incredible in your life. And in fact, it may be the epicenter of God's greatest activity in your life. In the moment you begin to doubt, you just need to realize you have a savior from Nazareth. And yes, he can. Amen. And it will not be what you expect. I'm taking unexpected circumstances and unexpected people out of unexpected places. And I'm going to do my greatest work. And you will miss it if you're not looking at me. You will miss it unless you tear away the filters. If you limit God by what you think God's gonna do, you limit God by what you think you know. He is not limited by what you think you know. You're limiting God based on what other religious people say that God is gonna do. He is not confined to a box. You are not gonna figure him out. You are not gonna tightly quarantine him into your neat little package. He is a disruptive force. And can I just tell you this? For some of you, that walking out of that Nazareth experience is gonna be a really difficult place because there's always gonna be people who wanna keep you there. Well, God can't use you because of what you came out of, where you came from, where you lived for a while. And you're finding yourself living there because so many people are reminding you of that place and that space that you don't feel like you can ever come up out of it. Or maybe it's a, hey, God's calling you into this place. God's calling you away from this dysfunction and out of this sin. And there's constantly gonna be people who go, I don't, I don't know about that. They're gonna constantly wanna remind you. They're gonna constantly tell you about what God can't. And you just need to know, 
You need to shut off all of the noise. You need to look at Jesus wherever you're struggling to believe that God can bring about freedom or that God could use your circumstance or God could break the binds of that addiction because Jesus is able. And so I think he says to all of us, I'm coming up out of Nazareth. Don't miss me. And please don't miss it. Don't hang on to your familiar ideas about religion and how God should operate or what you think is God's activity in your life and you're so familiar that you're walking away from Jesus. You're so familiar that you're limiting what Jesus wants to do in your life. You're so hung up on your familiar constructs that he is up to his greatest work in your life and you have dismissed him. Don't miss me. So I love the invitation. Philip's like, I can't answer your questions. I don't know why he's coming out now. He actually came from Bethlehem. They don't know it at that moment. They're just hung up on, we know he hung out and lived in Nazareth and that's where his parents are. I don't, I don't know, but you can come and see. I can't answer all your questions and I can't really figure them out, but there is something legit about this guy. You, you just need to come and see. And have you ever thought about this? Like they, I always think about this as I'm thinking through the narratives. They had no idea what they were gonna come and see, right? Like no idea. That they thought that they were gonna come and see Jesus walk into the temple and take his rightful place among the religious elite and he walks into the temple and starts flipping tables over and disrupting and deconstructing an entire system that's gonna die forever. I mean, they thought they were gonna come and see something completely different and then he's, you know, he's hanging out with a Samaritan woman and he, no, nobody had any idea, but he is breaking down racial barriers and changing view of women in the first century in that one interaction. Talk about that later. And then he goes and hangs out with Zacchaeus, the extortionist, Roman mafia member. And then he goes with the pimps and the thugs and the prostitutes. And nobody could figure him out. And in that moment, what they didn't know that they had come to see was somebody who's going to destroy all of their ideas about who's in and who's out and what's bad and what's good and how to view sin and how to view people. He is going to disrupt the whole thing. And they had no idea that what they were going to come and see would end. You ever think about this? And the spectacle of Roman crucifixion. And is there any more disruptive moment than when Jesus is on the cross? And he, I can't even wrap my mind around these, these words, this prayer. When Jesus prays, Father, I'm here, by the way, on my own accord. I, I willingly came here, but Father, forgive them because I don't even know what they're doing. They have no idea what they're seeing in this moment because what they were seeing was Jesus cancel the debt for all mankind. What they were seeing was Jesus become the final sacrifice for sin so that no sacrifice would ever be, have to be made again and the religious system would go out of business. They had no idea that in that moment he is tearing down the curtain of the religious system so all people could be invited in. They had no idea that in that moment he was disrupting and overturning death and the power of Satan and hell and he was stealing away the keys to death, hell, and the grave so that we could have life. And I'm telling you, whatever you walk away with, you just need to know this. There is no more disruptive force than the unfiltered version of Jesus. And he is not gonna be what you expect. He is not gonna do what you expect. He is not gonna bring purpose out of what you expect. But the invitation for you, religious guy, church guy, I don't even know if I could ever believe is just to come and see. And if you see the unfiltered version of Jesus, he may change everything for you. And I think there's only one prerequisite. Like the invitation to believe is, I'm asking people all the time to believe as God's worked in their heart, but that's not where it starts. It's not to give up anything. We're way more concerned with behavior than Jesus is. I'll talk about that later. <laughs> and not that it's not a big deal, but he's already handled it. And so I think the only prerequisite is not believe, not stop anything, not, the invitation is not even become a Christian today. Or if you're already a Christian, it's, I'm not asking you to change anything in this moment. You may not even know what you need to change. The only prerequisite is humility, right? You know this, pride blinds people, destroys relationships. You maybe think of somebody right now, no self-awareness. Humility brings clarity. And you know, I, I think the greatest sin in the church today, and we get caught up with a lot of stuff that we love to hold picket signs over. 
The greatest sin in the church today is arrogance. What we think we know. And we're gonna tell you what we think we know. And Jesus is inviting us to live out the words that Peter, Peter knew something about this, I do too. So I'm not taking a shot at Peter, but Peter writes, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up and lift you out when he's ready. Lift you out of what you thought you knew, lift you out of what you thought God would do, lift you out of the idea that God couldn't work past your doubts and skepticism. But if you would just humble yourself, the only thing that's gonna keep you from Jesus is not sin in general. There's only really one sin that keeps you from Jesus. It is the sin of pride. It is the sin of self-righteousness that either says, I already got it together and know, or I already know and I don't want any of it. And so I'm gonna find life on my own. I don't need Jesus. Or it's a, maybe I genuinely believe, but I'm just gonna hold on to my familiarity. And all the while you're shutting out Jesus' power in your life because Jesus is not gonna reveal his power as long as you are competing for his position. And Jesus, Jesus is not going to extend and release his power until you let go of your pride. And that's for everybody. Whether you don't know and you're skeptical right now or you like me have known for a long time, you need to right now ask the question, Jesus, help me, help me to see what I don't see. What filters have clouded my thinking? What am I holding on to that I am so familiar with? And in some cases, I'm so sure I'm right but you wanna strip away some of those filters in this moment. And, and here's the thing that's so crazy to me. At the end of, it wasn't toward the end of Jesus' ministry, but kind of toward the, the latter half, Jesus goes back to his hometown. I don't know, know if any of you know this. He goes back to Nazareth. That should have been like a huge homecoming. Party at the school that Jesus, the made it big, is coming back. And Jesus goes back to Nazareth and it says the people in Nazareth were so familiar with Jesus. They, they so thought they knew who he was and what he was gonna do that the savior of the world was coming up out of their hometown. And it says, and John writes this later, if we could bring up the verse. It says that he could not do any more miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. Not because he wasn't able to, but because they were so familiar and so sure that they thought they knew who, was, who Jesus was or where Jesus was come, would come from and how Jesus would work, that they denied Jesus his power in their life. And there they were, a hundred yards away from the savior of the world. And they knew a ton of information about him and they didn't know him. So all that to say, some of, you, some of you are in Nazareth right now, a Nazareth experience in terms of your view and your filter of Jesus. And in this moment, some of you maybe don't even know this yet, but you will know this. You need lifted up and you need lifted out. And the only way is to humble yourself. Some of you are in a place right now where you are struggling. Like people I've already talked to today and it's real life. And I've got their names and faces in the forefront of my mind. You're walking through some pain and there is no way you can see Jesus moving purpose out of that pain. And there's some things that have so gone up against how you think or were taught Jesus would work that it's hard for you to believe in a loving, gracious Jesus because he would allow this. And today, this is the only thing I know, you need to cry out in the midst of that, Jesus, I, I don't know, I don't know if I can hold on to faith, but I just wanna do everything I can. And so I'm asking you right now, help me to see you as you are in this because I'm struggling right now. Or maybe you're in a place right now where you have been hurt. We will go full on in this in later weeks, but you've been hurt by a religious system. Some of you have been spiritually abused. And you've been betrayed and you have been judged. And it's so hard for you to separate that from your idea of Jesus. And you just need to pray today, Jesus, this is how I viewed you. And I can't, I can't draw apart the connection. And so I just, I'm pleading with you. I don't know if it's gonna happen. Help me to see as you see. Help me to see you as you are. Some of you, you're Nazareth. 
Some of your, your Nazareth is just the doubt and the skepticism and the questions that you've had. And I, my heart so goes out to you and you're in a place where there is no way that you can see faith emerging from that doubt. And you just need to know Jesus is okay with your doubt. Jesus can handle your doubt. Jesus can bring faith out of your doubt. You can have an encounter with the savior of the world where your faith later down the road becomes stronger than any of our faith. He can move it out of Nazareth. He came out of Nazareth. He can birth faith out of that place. And you just need to cry out today of, I don't know if I could ever believe it. Jesus, if you are able, help me to see you as you are and help faith to emerge from this place of doubt. I don't want to stay in Nazareth forever. Or maybe your maybe you're Nazareth is, is just the marriage dysfunction or the habits that you can't see freedom coming out of. Maybe it's it's your own sin. And there is people that are constantly reminded, you know you're from Nazareth. The dysfunction, the addiction, the habits, the thing you're not telling anybody else about. And you just can't see the fact that you could ever get past the self-condemnation and the guilt and the shame. And today you just need to cry out for Jesus. Jesus, I want you to help me see because you're a God that came up out of Nazareth and I don't need to carry self-condemnation and I don't need to carry guilt and I don't need to live in shame and you are not gonna make me comfortable living in Nazareth. I'm breaking out and I want freedom. And the only way that I'm gonna get freedom is not because you commit again. It's not because you are more disciplined. It's not because you get a religious checklist. You need Jesus. You need to see Jesus. And so right now the prayer and the cry is, Jesus, I want you to help me to rip away the filters and I wanna see you. This is for 40 year follower of Jesus and you are so sure you're right. This is for the person that's right at the edge and you don't know if you could ever embrace faith, but you need to pray that prayer. So right now all over the room in the house, you may be somewhere, it may be weird, but you can do this in your living room, in your office, stand to your feet to say, Jesus, I want you to rip away the filters and I want you to lead me to come and see. And if that's you, if there's some area where you have the sneaking suspicion that you need clarity, that you don't know if you can believe, if you can come up out of that place. You don't know if you could ever embrace Jesus. You are so hung up on what you thought, on what you're familiar with, and you need to ask Jesus to help you see. So right now, if that's you, if you need that, if that's your prayer, stand up on your feet. Yes, I'm asking you to stand and no heads are bowed and no eyes are closed. Stand up. I, there, Jesus, rip away the filters for me and help me see. I'm gonna give you a minute because some of you need another minute for the Holy Spirit to work you over because you are so concerned about the person sitting next to you or in front of you. Jesus, rip away my filters and help me see. And you just need to know this. I think the invitation to really come and see Jesus, that is a dangerous prayer. Because I think the unfiltered Jesus is irresistible. I think he'll do things that you never expected. I think our churches would change if we'd stop trying to control and sanitize Jesus. Because the reality is when you accept an invitation to come and see, you are inviting an invitation to come and disrupt your life in the best possible way. And the reality is some of us, like me, we believe, it's not that we don't believe, but for a long time, we've been following a Jesus that doesn't fully exist. But dang it, he fits into our neat packages. And some of you have walked away from a Jesus that doesn't exist. So Jesus, right now, all over this room, for those who are standing to their feet, the declaration is, Jesus, I am ready. And that doesn't mean I'm ready to believe. That doesn't mean I'm ready to change anything. You gotta do that work. But I'm ready to invite you to help me to come and see what currently, maybe even in this moment, I don't see. And so right now I pray for all of the power that you embody to be at work in those who are right now in this moment standing to their feet or they're listening somewhere and they're receiving this invitation that you, God, you would come and disrupt. You would come and change our view of you. You would lift our heads to believe what is actually possible that God, you would free us up 
And that God, you would ignite something in our church and in our churches and our individual hearts that would be real and that would be authentic. Because Jesus should be disrupting stuff. And so disrupt and come and do your thing and don't ever leave us the same again. And for some others of us, we we need to go out this week and we just need to take hold of the invitation. We need to go find some people and say, come and see. The church is a physical representation of Jesus on planet earth and, and we can meet, have people meet Jesus anywhere we go, but there is a special manifestation of Jesus' power when the church gathers around Jesus. And so this week there's somebody at the forefront of our mind and we've been so scared, we've so neglected, we've become so familiar with our life. For some of us, we are so numb. We, we don't feel anymore and we need to feel again. And so we're asking you to help us come and see you, that you do something inside of us so that we'd feel again, we'd be compelled to go out to go, hey, there's somebody who I just need to extend the invitation to this week, not next month. You just need to come and see. I can't answer all your questions, but you need to come and see Jesus. So God, do your thing. And we pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.